Hey, Bail, guess what today is? Episode 9. It is episode 9. I was going to say Friday, but I guess that's true no matter what episode we do. It is kind of a bizarre Friday around here for us because I've been sick all week and you were awake all night. I never went to bed. Yeah, we're going on 24 hours strong here. So so at this point, we're just going to do the best we can. Yeah, bear with us. All right, what do you have for me today? So this week, I wanted to go ahead and see if you've ever heard of this before because I'm staying on track with the whole disasters that happened that maybe had some cause behind them. Okay. Human faults. All right. While well, staying on track with the Titanic, I decided to do another shipwreck in America that happened, and it happened in the Midwest. It was before you were born, long before you were born. Oh, thank goodness! There was something but before I, I was born. I had never heard of it until I started researching this, so I just wanted to see if struck any chords with you. Okay, I'm, I'm interested to hear what this is. Okay, so it all takes place on July 24th in 1915, so three years after the Titanic Oh, just barely before I was born then. Just barely, yeah. (laughs) Or either that or you're a wee infant at this time. I was a wee tiny baby. So July 24th, 1915, a company called the Western Electric Company was having an employee outing. It was kind of, they made it sound like an employee appreciation picnic get-together type of thing. Mm -hmm. But it started out, they all had to board these ships in Chicago in the Chicago River and they would travel across Lake Michigan and eventually end up in a little park in Michigan City, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So the whole plan was they had a total of five ship vessels that were hired to take all of the employees slowly throughout the day over to that island, but they ended up selling a total of 7,000 tickets. So these weren't very large ships, so that's where it kind of becomes a problem here. And I have heard of this. You have? And I can't think of what the boat's name was, but I heard it on Disaster Area with Jennifer Matarese. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, I listened to some disaster podcasts in addition to True Crime, and she does a good job on that. I need to get more into that because I feel like I'm more into these stories these days too. (laughs) Okay, most of the workers that were going on this excursion were kind of blue-collar immigrant type of families. A lot of them are Polish, Czech, and Hungarian. Mm -hmm. So they were just very hardworking. A lot of them worked seven days a week just to feed their family and stuff like that. So for them to have a Saturday off to just spend the whole day with their family was huge. They all put on their Sunday best. This was going to be just time of their life. So so like I said, 7,000 tickets total were sold. There were five vessels. Employees were actually encouraged to get there early in order to spend as much time at this picnic and they were going to have a whole bunch of like bands, festivities going on just to spend the whole day there. Mm -hmm. The first boat called the East was to leave at 7 a.m. that morning. So the Eastland, so everybody's clear, it was only licensed to carry 2,500 occupants on board. However, they had people counting one by one by one, but they ended up overloading it by 73 passengers, which doesn't seem like a huge ton, but like we'll get more into how that contributed. Okay. Say that they were piling so fast, they said about 50 passengers per minute were boarding this ship. Okay. At the time, as it was becoming super packed on board, it also began raining. So all of the women who had babies, young children, they started going below deck in order to seek shelter, keep them out of the cold wind. Right. A lot of the men stayed on like, on the top of the deck just to say if they had a co-worker coming along, they'd wave to them, hey, we're on this ship, come on, get on with us. I don't remember. Did you say the date? Yeah, it's I July 24th, 1950. Okay, so it's it's summer, but it's, but it's yeah. but the, you great know how, like, the, the Great, great Lakes, lakes and the Great Lakes are windy and... 
Yes. Yeah, in case you are not from the Midwest, the Great Lakes get very cold even on a summer day. <laughs> they started boarding at about 7 o'clock that day. Around 7.15 a.m., the ship actually began to slowly sway back and forth, but there was like a big party going on. Everybody was kind of like, oh, it's a ship. There's going to be a little turbulence. Whatever. Nobody really paid any mind to it. But it quickly righted itself. Like, they were figuring out the buoyancy. I don't know what they're called on the bottom of the ship where they fill it with air to like, oh, where they uh... will fill one side up to keep it more buoyant than the other side to keep it from rocking. So much. I know what you're talking about. I can't think of what it's called. I don't know. There were so many ship terms I had to learn. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So anyway, so it kind of re- it fixed itself, and so they're like, all right, keep on boarding. 7.23 a.m. came around, and it began to tilt again, this time away from the pier, so it was kind of going out towards the lake onto its side a little bit. Oh, boy. And people started to actually notice this, because like I said, there was like a party going on on deck. There were bands and stuff, so people were dancing on the dance floor, and suddenly they couldn't keep their posture up straight. This right. Noticeable at this like, point. Yo, we're sliding. So then they also had <laughs> the gangways that are the little boarding ramps that lead onto the ship. Yeah. They were still down and lodged onto the port to help people on board. And because of that, when the ship slid too far to the side, it ended up letting on water into the engine room. Okay. So the employees that were in the engine room saw this happening and immediately knew this is really bad. They knew exactly what was about to happen because, fun fact, this boat had had issues with this in the past. People who were locals, I don't want to say richer folk, but you know what I mean, who traveled by ferry and stuff like that a lot more than these working class people did, they would actually call this... They had nicknames for those. Don't go on that. That's It's just an accident waiting to happen. Am I wrong, or is this the boat that had changed names like three times because they were yeah, trying they to leave to... its bad bad image exactly. behind? Exactly, yeah. They did that about three times, and then this company that was running it now ended up buying it and changing it to the Eastland. Okay. So, of course, all the people on board, other than the crewmates, did not know that that was the reputation it had. Mm-hmm. So that was at 7.23 a.m. when it started first taking on water, and then by 7.28 a.m., it was now at a 45 degree angle into Holy the water crap. and this was when kind of like the titanic furniture just began sliding like none of it they're not used to big seas in the ocean this is normally very steady water mm-hmm. so nothing's just as stapled down as it would be like on a cruise ship or something like that right so at this point they had things flying against people hurtling them into walls they had they said people were getting crushed by refrigerators by oh, ice yeah trucks and stuff like that well and the more it the more it tilts the more stuff falls over there and the faster it keeps well, that's going. what they said is that not only like the objects were falling but at a certain point other people started falling on top of you and yeah. that's just horrifying as a claustrophobic person to even imagine i can't yeah yeah me too so you might be wondering why this ship had so much trouble keeping balance yes there was a lot going on people were excited running back and forth dancing having a hoopla of a time you know <laughs> but that's not exactly what led to this so after the Titanic happened three years prior, Congress had actually passed a bill requiring lifeboats to accommodate at least 75% of the passengers on board. And while this Which was... Which still seems significantly less than 100%. Yes, I would say so. Okay. But I think this was more focused on, say, ocean liners or people that are expecting turbulence at sea, not so much just ferry. Yeah. So they didn't get the memo, this little boat line, though. So they decided to update it in order to fit that, and they failed to realize that the Great Lake transport vessels were built for shallow drafts, not like that of an ocean liner, and could, in fact, become top-heavy by the slightest offsetting of weight. Okay. The Eastland, which was built in 1902, was only designed to carry six lifeboats total, and that was it. So what you're saying is 
because the way the lifeboats are mounted high up on the boat, yeah. that leads to an additional instability because it's more likely to tip over because of that extra weight at the top. Exactly. They're not. There's not enough weight on the bottom holding it in place, and there's too yeah. much weight kind of like a top, just okay, topsy-turvy. That, make, that makes sense. So it, it was built in 1902. It was only designed to carry six lifeboats on top total, but they had, with this new law in place, just installed 11 lifeboats, 37 additional life rafts, and life jackets for all 2,500 passengers on board, all stored on the very top of the top deck. So they had a good intent. The intent was was there. poorly executed. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, wow. So it's ironically the Titanic is kind of what collapsed this boat. Wow. Yeah. That's unbelievably bad. So two minutes after hitting this 45 degree tilt into the water, the Eastland was completely resting on its side. So within two minutes, completely had reached the bottom of that lake. Oh my gosh. So. Do you know how deep the lake was there? They didn't say, but I will give you some pretty shocking (laughs) information about that. I'll settle for that. Okay. Once it reached the bottom of the ship, it kind of catapulted everybody. And everybody that was on the top deck, mostly the men and the like fathers of the families, they were either catapulted so far into the water that they were able to swim back and climb onto the other side of the ship and get back onto the shore. Or they had also been taken down with the railing itself and stuck under the hull. So people were not only stuck inside trapped under stuff, they were also stuck in the water trapped under the boat itself. There was a quote from a writer for the Chicago Herald who was there and witnessed this at the time named Harlan Babcock. And this is really awful, so I'm going to warn you right now. In an instant, the surface of the river was black with struggling, crying, frightened, drowning humanity. We infants floated like corks. Oh, wow. So. It's so awful. During this, there were about 10,000 onlookers stood by on the riverfront because this was not just a boarding area. They had markets. This was a big celebration zone. Not only these boats were going out that day, this was just a big coming and going point. Yeah. So 10,000 people watched this go down and they and they began jumping into help, swimming out to save them. And like I said before, there were a lot of kids without their parents because their parents were trapped in there and just did the best they could to get the baby up to... Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine. I mean... Hundreds of whole families are in this circumstance. The panic you would have. I I don't even. I don't even know. I I can't even. I can't even put myself in that. And that's such a heavy depth of. And God, this is awful too. I'm so sorry, everybody. There was also another report where people who were too far away to jump into the water and go out and swim to help them, they started throwing things like wooden things, which does float. I now know. Unless it hits you in the head? Unless it hits you in the head. They began throwing things like wooden ladders and chicken cages, hopefully without the chickens at least. But they started throwing big, heavy wooden objects, not realizing that the people that were barely staying afloat would get hit in the head with that, be disoriented or knocked out and drown. So this was happening. It happened to quite a few people apparently. So that was all going down about 7.30ish a.m. By 8 o'clock a.m., most survivors that were rescued that day had been pulled from the water. By noon, rescue workers finally were able to reach the bodies of those who had been trapped in the water. Most of them were women and children. Were they trapped in the water under the boat or were they inside the boat trapped in the water? Both. Okay. 
Because a lot of the people, well, I think most of the women and children were underneath the cabin, the lower cabins, but the men and maybe women who worked there and didn't have other young children with them. So it sounds like most of the children were on the bottom deck and yeah. So. God, this is awful. This is, I know, that's why I was like, I can't believe I've never heard of this before and I live so close to this. I have heard this story a couple times, but it just, I mean, no matter matter how many times. How many times I hear this story, it just breaks my heart because whole families. Or if the dad was up on the deck talking to his workmates and Mm -hmm. his wife and his six children are under the deck and they all are trapped and die. And that poor mom. It's one thing if you have you and a baby to take care of. If you have six kids, there's no way. Yeah, it's basically Sophie's choice times five. Yeah, which kid are you going to get to the top? Or if if any, if you can. That's horrifying. So I'm not letting you tell stories anymore. Well, you make me go first every week, and then I have to cry and well, get next through week, it. You you can go last. Okay, I'll have a happy story. <laughs> You're breaking me down. Okay, <laughs> at the end of the day, they had so many fatalities that they had to convert the Second Regiment Armory <sighs> to a makeshift morgue, and were lining up bodies in rows of eighty-five. Rows of eighty-five people. Rows, not just one row of 85. So what was the total? Well, the total... Here, give me one second. I'll give that because I want to add one more point to that. All right. So in order to identify the bodies, a lot of them didn't have IDs on them. They were children, you know? Yeah. So and a lot of the mothers wouldn't have had yeah, they, to have ID either. True. And, you know, if both of their parents died, they're, who's going to be like, oh, my child is missing? Yeah. So they had to eventually let, in groups of 20, people just come in and start identifying their family members slowly. Just so everybody is aware, the Titanic had a total of 829 fatalities, and the Eastland had a total of 844. Such a uh, a small ferry boat that would have such a terrible death toll. And it's just from small oversights that you wouldn't think could be that impactful. Yeah. Well, like, the, you know what? People get so irritated if you are really anal about stuff and if mm-hmm. you're very picky about the details and if you're real choosy about getting things done the right way. Yep. That's why people do that. That's why people are careful what about getting things done the right way. This is why OSHA exists, my dude. Yeah. People have died doing that. So yeah. like, Okay. So, as I was saying, the Eastland accident ended up having a higher fatality rate than the Titanic and all of this was in a river still tied to the port only 20 feet away from the dock. That's unbelievable. I can't even wrap my mind around how that could happen, you know? So last really super sad fact I'm going to give you, 70% of them were under the age of 25. That's not actually It's not shocking considering most of the children were the ones that they were like, okay, everybody go down here. This is the kid's zone. Yeah. Good grief. After all of this, the captain of the ship, Harry Peterson, and chief engineer Joseph Erickson were taken into custody, not just because people were blaming him, but kind of for their own protection, because the people of the community were just furious, and I guess probably rightfully so, if you lost somebody in that. Litigations actually continued for the next 24 years, and they didn't really say what happened to those two, if they were in protective custody, or if they were just changing their name and lived elsewhere. Well, it seems like there's more involved than just the two people who were the, well, the were, leadership on the boat. They also took a couple of the crewmates, just workers of the ship, in, but these were the two people where most of the blame was directed to, so they were the ones that ended up standing trial for it. Yeah, but the captain of the of the boat isn't the owner of the boat, and he's probably not the guy who made the decision he's to, to top-load everything so heavily. 
there was a thing mentioned where I don't know what what the board was called but it was like the board of safety of the Great Lakes or something they had contacted Captain Harry Peterson before this happened and said I know that they just passed this law but I'm urging you to do a test run with all these because this was the first time they'd even tried running it in the water with okay. all of this new extra weight on top so they even told him, I don't think that's safe, like just with the conditions of the Great Lakes. I just think you should give it a test run a couple times with maybe some weights instead of people on it and stuff like that. And he decided, ah, no, law knows best. I'm going to go ahead and just do it. Wow. Okay. So that's why he, yeah, that was and then you would think the chief engineer would know something about the balance ratio of the ship and where we should well, place yeah. these lifeboats to better suit it. Ship engineering is not something that just any clown can do. It's not do. a pansy job. You I mean, need to be serious about it. There's a lot involved mm-hmm. in making sure that the amount of water displaced is going to yeah. accommodate the amount of weight of the boat and the, the passengers and the load stuff on it. And I just, yeah. I don't understand how they don't go to someone who does that as a specialty and say, hey, we've made these changes. What do you think? Well, you have to think this was also early 1900s, so what did it actually take to be a ship engineer back then? I'm not entirely sure. They're like, I did a weekend seminar, it's fine. But I don't know, that's what it took to be a doctor, so... (laughs) Alright, you're making really good points here. But anyway, so the litigations continued for the next 24 years to find out who was liable and if any of them actually were liable. And finally, Joseph Erickson, the chief engineer, ended up dying before any compromise or conclusion could be made. So they ended up saying, ah, well, he seems like a good person to put the blame on. And they just ended it right there and said, he's to blame. So then, a total of 800 lawsuits, civil lawsuits, they actually said maybe even more that weren't even carried out, were submitted for wrongful death suits. However, none of them received much, not more than a couple hundred dollars, if any payment at all. Most of the money that was paid in lawsuits ended up going to towing the ship out of the Great Lake. So, So basically, a third of the passengers died. Third of the passengers died and Most their of them families were got nothing. Most of them were children. Some of them were the father, the breadwinner, like the only person they had to support and they got nothing for their insurance or payout or anything. Wow. So I just wanted to end it on a Please quote. just end it. It's terrible. It's, finally, I know. <laughs> I just wanted to end it on a quote from the historian who actually is the main historian on this disaster, Ted Wachholz, W-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z, on why he thinks so many Americans are unaware of this disaster, even though it was more disastrous than the Titanic, technically. But what he had to say about that was, there wasn't anyone rich or famous on board. Mm-hmm. It was all hardworking, salt-of-the-earth immigrant families. Yeah. And and that's basically how things operate it's now and then. The sad truth. You know, if you're poor and if you're not a mover and a shaker in mm-hmm. what we consider society, then you're, you're expendable. And all those people, all those people lost their lives and their families and their livelihood and... And it, it just, I don't know. In their just, futures, because if your whole family dies, that's the end of your line. Well, that, that happened to a lot of the people I saw. Like, a lot of the kids, they had to have the school children from town come in and identify the little kids. Do you know this kid? Because their entire family died, so there was nobody there to claim them. Yeah. And imagine being the little school kid who has to walk I in know. there down rows of 85 people times how many rows? Well, that didn't happen. 10 rows. Were, I think they said after 30 days, they ended up saying, all right, there's three little kids that we have that were not identified. So they just started bringing kids in. This person hasn't been to school. Maybe you should. That's horrific. I know. So please make me not cry this episode <laughs> so I can just... 
be happy again. All right. Well, this is a bad story, but at least it has a good ending. Okay, I'm ready. I mean, as good as it could be under these circumstances. All right. Last year, Madeline Allen was a full-time college student at Hope College in Ephraim, Utah. She was 19 years old, and she was looking for romantic hookups. She's talking with some people online on the Kick app. Okay. At 9.22 p.m. on December 13th last year, one of the people that she'd been chatting with picked her up at her dormitory, and she was seen on security footage leaving the dorm. She's wearing a jacket and a skirt. It's winter, so it's cold, so she's all dressed for the weather. Okay. The next day, on December 14th, Madeline's parents received a text message from her that read only, I love you, but nothing about where she was, how she was, or when she would be back. So this naturally alarmed the parents. Yes. Who contacted the police to ask them to please check on their daughter. You know, she's at college. We don't know what's going on, but we got this text that we don't feel very good about. And so they also contacted Verizon to try to get any additional information that they could, and they were told that the phone had pinged in Loa, which is 87 miles from Hope College. Oh, jeez. Okay. Law enforcement also had received this information and began investigating in Loa to try to find Madeline. On the fifth day of searching for Madeline, whose parents were still just stricken with fear and grief at her still being missing. Of course, yeah. Just imagine, she's just gone for five days, no idea why. The investigation had finally led detectives to a house in Loa, which was the home of 39-year-old Brent Brown. When the officers and detectives went to the home, they did an outdoor survey of the property and looked through basement windows. I'm sure they looked in the upstairs windows too. Okay. <laughs> but when they did look through the basement windows, they saw a smallish person with light hair who was seen fearfully scurrying out of sight. Of course, okay. This seemed a little bit bizarre, so detectives knocked on the door, which was answered by Brent Brown. He told them he was the only person that was in the house, and he refused to allow them to search the home. He said his parents owned the house and that the parents would have to give permission for the law enforcement officers to enter at all. So law enforcement found the parents, permission was given, and the house was searched. So he literally made them go to his own parents? Yeah, I guess he thought that they would say no. Mom's got my back, even if I do whatever God's name he did to those poor persons. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, okay. so mom and dad said, sure, search it. Upon entering the house, Madeline's school ID was seen openly laying on a table, and a firearm was also openly visible, like sticking out of something. In the basement, the smallish person who had been previously seen down there was found, was covered head to toe in coal dust, and turned out to be Madeline Allen. She was naked, had been locked inside of a coal bunker, and she had been threatened to remain silent. Brown had cut all her hair off, and he had been sexually assaulting her several times every day since she had disappeared. He would choke her, he would cover her mouth and nose to keep her from breathing, and he threatened her that if she escaped or she let anyone know where she was, that he would go and kill her family, so Madeline complied. And that was why when they saw her through the window, she scurried away. Okay, so she was doing this for the safety of her family. Yeah, because she didn't want him to think, oh, that little biatch told somebody. she waved for attention or something. Yeah, Yeah. so she didn't want him to go kill her family or hurt them. So at this point, she really didn't believe that he was ever going to let her go. And Brown had taken Madeline's phone after he had her in the car and he was headed out of town, and he kept her from being alarmed by calling it role play. So apparently they had some dirty talk on their kick conversations, and they probably had some discussion of different types of role play that they might be both into, and so he's... I'm pretty sure this was not detailed in her desires for this role play. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it wasn't, but at this point he hadn't done anything So she did originally go with him willingly because she was under the assumption he was going to be a normal human. Exactly. Okay. Or that this would be consensual. (laughs) Yeah. 
He returned the phone to her only briefly the next day to have her text her parents in the hope that they wouldn't be immediately worried and start looking for her. Okay. When he went to work, he would tie her up but leave her food. And he had her tied up inside the coal bunker, which is why she was covered head to toe in black dust. So he had also seen news reports that her disappearance was under investigation, and so he had thrown her phone into a trash can at a store, but he told Madeline that he had shipped it to New Mexico to throw law enforcement off the trail. Because they're in Utah, and so he's telling close. her, okay. nobody's going to find you, your phone's in New Mexico, they're going to be looking for you down there. Madeline said that the moment she arrived in Brown's house, he forced her to undress and wouldn't allow her to put any clothes back on the entire time she was there, threatening her with a gun, hitting her with a belt, and violence against her family. Mm -hmm. So this is just another reminder that meeting people online can be so, so dangerous, you know? This girl is really fortunate that her parents recognized that something seemed off and set off the alarm for people to start looking for her. Yes, she had agreed to get in the car with Brent Brown, Mm -hmm. thinking that they had things in common and he seemed like a good enough guy thinking that they were going to act in a consensual manner mm-hmm. but she had no idea what he was capable of or that he was planning to kidnap her rape her and lock her in his coal bin and yes. after all the escalation of crimes that he had committed against her do you think it's very likely that he was going to reach the point where he'd go hmm yeah well i guess i'll take her home now yeah i'm done with you you're free to go yeah you're free to go i don't think that was ever going to happen because guys like this There's no turning back. They get to this point and they're like, oh, hell, you know too much. I've done too much. You're going to get me arrested. And then they kill them and they hide their body in the woods. So she's very, very fortunate that she came out of it alive. The happy ending for Madeline and her family was great news. The bad news is that for untold numbers of people every year, they don't get that lucky ending of getting away, Mm -hmm. getting therapy to work through the trauma that they've endured, and continuing to live their lives with some important lessons having been learned. Online dating is pretty much the way of the world right now. Mm -hmm. But just be smart. Don't meet some new online person for the first time by yourself. And if you must, at least do it in a public place. Don't have him pick you up at your dorm. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, don't let a brand new online acquaintance know where you live. Better yet, meet them in a public place, bring a friend with you, tell them your friend's going to be there, that's fine. But if they're like, no, I just want it to be you, they're not worth it. Don't go. Don't go. And I've got a list here of some things to keep in mind as red flags. Okay. If you're on a first date with somebody. View this person with a critical eye. Does anything about them seem off? Mm-hmm. Do they have weird idiosyncrasies that seem bizarre or that make you feel uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Do they have bad hygiene or bad manners? Because both of those things mean this person is not someone who cares about society's rules. And it's probably going to get worse when you get them in private, too. Yeah. Are they rude to the wait staff? Ooh, that's a good one. Because if they're rude to the wait staff, they don't care what anybody thinks about them. Mm-hmm. And they probably don't care about what you think of them. Do they seem controlling or even to the point that they want to order for you? If they think they know what's best, they probably don't. And mm-hmm. you should mm-hmm. run away. Do they ask you too many questions that are not appropriate for a first date? As in, they're trying to get entrenched already or they're trying to learn your dark secrets, Mm -hmm. something they can hold over your head? Yeah. Do they ask you no questions? As in, they're only interested in themselves and you really aren't all that important. You're just a prop. Or do they make uncomfortable comments about your appearance? Judgy comments or outwardly lustful comments? Either one is wrong on a first date. Yeah, not appropriate. They not shouldn't. The time. They shouldn't be undressing you with their eyes unless that's what you're there for. Yeah, if exactly. That... If this was pre-established before the date, hey, this is a hookup. Fine. Yeah, but, but even then, you have to be smart. You can't just hook up with people who are weird and might kill you. And you know what? It has to be established before the hookup 
And also, while the hookup is happening, consent, guys, it's beautiful. <laughs> okay. It's necessary. It's necessary. Let's yeah. do it. So the bottom line is, just be as careful as you want your friends to be with people that they meet online. Mm-hmm. We all know it's dangerous. So don't forget, it can happen to you. Mm-hmm. Everyone who gets murdered thinks it's not going to happen to them. But how many of these stories do we hear every day? Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We just don't want to be doing a story on you in the future. Yes, be safe. And then I also wanted to mention that there are multiple ways to, even on a second date, even on the third date, or if you're walking down the road, there are apps that you can have on your phone. Yeah, we have one together. We have Noonlight, mm-hmm. and I haven't used it yet, but we do well, have we don't it. leave the house yet, so. <laughs> I believe that there's a panic button on Tinder, so you keep your Tinder app open. Open, and there's a panic button. We'll have my to look understanding. At that later when I... I don't do Tinder. I I was on Tinder. Well, you for can like... get on mine real fast. And see I, if I you was can on it Tinder up. for like a month, maybe six years ago, and mm-hmm. the people on there were such weirdos. Oh, I just get on there. Me and Hi Max. I'm about to talk about you. We were today just comparing <laughs> each other's. What's on your Tinder today? And just making fun of the different people. Anyway, <laughs> I just don't. I don't want any part of it. And there are just when you just Google it. Look for a personal safety app. Google it. Look in the app store wherever you get your stuff. But do something. Just don't leave yourself out there with no backup. And if you have an iPhone, for the love of God, if you're not going to bring a friend with you for a first meeting, at least share with two people in your life that you know are going to look out for you and make sure you got home. You know? That's right. So, yeah. I mean, share your location with us if you have to. Yes. Hit us up on Instagram. (laughs) We will watch you on our little listener map. Well, that doesn't show up we'll for We'll follow you home. <laughs> Speaking of the listener map, we now have Germany and Australia. Uh-huh. We have several more states now, which was really exciting. Yeah, we're getting more further but west. Guess what we still don't have? Canada. We still don't have Canada. Oh, Canada. I don't know the actual. <laughs> well, you got the beginning of it right. I don't know any any more beyond that either. But you know what? There are a lot of Americans who don't know the Star Spangled Banner, so it's okay if you don't know the words to another country's national Fair anthem. Enough. So you got anything else amusing today? Ah, uh, well, I'm really happy that I reported Dr. Gandhi to, on to Tinder before we did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can have to back up. Just give a quick summary of that. It was pretty funny. Well, I'm really happy that I blocked Dr. Gandhi on Tinder today. I was just telling mom that he is, he didn't have a first name. He just went by Dr. Gandhi. And <laughs> he, he was a very attractive model with a fully shaved chest sitting on a boat. And he was a cardiologist at the local hospital, which actually is not a hospital. It's a student health center. Well, there are hospitals, too. There are hospitals, but there there was not a cardiology department at this hospital. (laughs) I don't want to get too specific to where we are, you know. But I looked it up, and there was no Dr. Gandhi. So I decided to do the old catfish trick. I don't know if you've seen that show. But do a reverse image search, and I took one of the images from his Tinder, and I did it. He's a Bollywood actor, ladies and gentlemen. So I went ahead and reported him because I just watched the Tinder Swindler and not today. <laughs> and when I wanted to watch it, you said, I don't want to watch that. And then you, I yeah. went to bed and you watched it while I was asleep. Overnight. And I'm like, damn it. Sorry, Mom. Now I have to watch the Tinder Swindler all I'll by watch myself. It again. It's, it'll surprise me every time. Okay. <laughs> all right. So we were not on our best today because I've been sick all week and I took two COVID tests and I do not have COVID. So it's just some sort of the end of the flu, I think. I've had some sort of a flu. And you were awake and all night. And I have night. the opposite. I'm in a hyperactive manic state. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that'll happen when you are going on 36 hours with no sleep now. So. Rock on. <laughs> all right. So that's all we got. Thank you for listening, guys. Please check us out on Instagram. We are posting every day, several times a day. and um, We also will be posting teasers, like, teasers <laughs> and hints if you guys want to go on there and guess which one. We might send you a little message as a, a good reward idea. or whatever. Even a <laughs> shout out if you ask for it. But yeah, check us out. We're happy to hear from you guys. And thank you for tuning in. Yeah. See you next week. And we promise we won't do woo anymore at the beginning. Maybe soft. Ooh. <laughs> Bye. Bye.